0: Coming up on Unpacked.
1: And we landed and there were just like kids, like everywhere, screaming. I do not know how to say, I'm struggling, I don't know what I'm doing. The day you lift that carpet, it's become a mountain.
0: Mm. Did you feel a bit of a sense of relief after doing it?
1: A part of me really just wanted to drive off that cliff.
0: What are some of the dangers that you can face when you are a child star? What are some of the challenges that you can face when you come from a broken home? Our guest today answers these questions. Let's unpack. Multi award-winning director and filmmaker, Tabang Muleya's journey to success hasn't been an easy one. Tabang, who hails from Tembisa Gauteng, entered the television industry when he was just 15 years old as a host of a popular kids' TV show. Since then, Tabang has gone on to become a force to be reckoned with in the film and television industry. He's directed some of South Africa's most popular TV TV shows and films, but an internal and private battle nearly took it all away. This is Tabang's story. Let's unpack. Tabang, thank you so, so much for joining us on the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Now, today we know you as this famous global director, award-winning, and you are quite (laughs) out there on social media, but few people know you actually started out as a child star.
1: Yeah, um, sure. Child star, you know the first gig that I did was a TV show um, called Kiliboni, mm. and then Homeland. I think I was probably about like twelve. And 19, you're like 13. seventeen now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it was. I mean, I didn't even know what I was doing. I think at that age, like you just like having fun, right? You just mm. go into auditions, and you know, you find out that you know you got the part, and um, I think you know. I got into the industry at a young age, but I wasn't aware of what I was doing. I was just like, you know, a kid having fun on set more than anything.
0: You know, from the many conversations I've had with child stars, young entertainers, mm-hmm. I myself was a kids TV presenter and child entertainer, is that you really go in just for the fun. There's no element of, okay, this is the business. This is what we're gonna do. Even right. though you might have agents or parents involved. Yeah. yeah, You go with the intention of, I'm just having fun and enjoying myself. Yeah. When did you realize in that journey that actually this is work? What what was that moment that you're like, oh my gosh, I'm at work? It wasn't necessarily
1: a moment of feeling like I was at work. I think it was a moment of realizing, okay, this is this is serious, you know? Mm. Um, because as well, you know, in the circle, everyone else is young and we're friends, and you know, there's a group of us and we're like you know, eight, twelve presenters, mm. and there's a lot of so we kind of have like a very, you know, we had a very strong bond and kind of uh, friendship, mm. uh, and we grew up together, you know. So you kind of, you know, when you were going to work, it felt like you were gonna go see your friends. Yes. You know mm. what I mean? Like you finished school early. Uh, sometimes you'd even skip the last episode. Um, the last episode.
0: Period. Last yeah. Yeah. You'd even,
1: you know, you'd even miss the last period of school mm. because like the school knew that. You had to leave early because you were doing like a show you know mm. so it just felt like you were seeing your friends and it was like a continued conversation from whatever conversation you guys were having last whether it was about gaming or mm. you know seeing each other on the weekend but i think for me where it hit where i was like this is serious was when we started doing the road shows mm. right and uh we landed in you know i forget where it was i think maybe it was kenya or nigeria um, we're doing a road show around Africa. Mm. And we landed and there were just, like, kids, like, everywhere, screaming with, like, bull, like, thing, like holding placards with your mm. name on it. And, you know, a lot of the branding as well, they had that. So you'd see your face on, wow. like, a T-shirt that someone else is wearing. And with people screaming, like, kids screaming your name and, like, wanting to for you to sign on their T-shirt or an autograph. I think for me, that was the moment where I was like, okay, like, this is serious. This thing is bigger than what I thought it was, you know?
0: Was that the birth of a certain part of your ego?
1: Um, I I can't say, right? Mm. I'm not sure because I think the birth of it happened possibly earlier, right? Mm. Like, Mm. you know, so you have certain privileges at school, you know, like, um, because you're on a show and the shooting hours are at a specific time, you can leave school early, mm. you know, so, like, when uh, it's time. So at the end of second break, like, I would get picked up and get taken to studio, so I'd miss the last three or four classes, mm. you know. So there's a sense of, like, okay, I can, like, you know, like... I'm a bit bad. more special yeah, than Yeah, I'm others. a bit more special, you yeah. know what I mean? And then sometimes it pick you up a bit later, so you'd be mid-class mm. and then, like the class would, you know, you'd be like, you know, you'd be in history, and then it'd be like, Tawang, they here to pick you up, and you'd be like, okay, okay, let me get my bags. Uh, cheers, guys, you know, <laughs> and then. Like, With that A you know, of, my yeah, guys, enjoy yeah. school. <laughs> yeah, exactly, you know. <laughs> Look, the, you know, the other side of that is, you have to catch up on the classes mm-hmm. that you've missed out on, but there's still a sense of like, okay, I'm a little bit more special in a way. Like Mm. I get certain privileges that no one else is getting, you know? Mm. Um, So, you know, the teachers are a lot more lenient with you. The rules start bending in order to accommodate this career that you're pursuing. And also being at an art school, they encouraged it, right? They were Mm. kind of like, well, if you're studying in the field of art and you're already working, it's a good kind of motivation for other kids that are in the Mm. school, you know? then you know you get dropped off late and uh i was at the boarding school so i'd come back late and then i'd have to catch up on the homework but there'd always be a sense of um you know and even with the rules in the morning of like you have to be up at a specific time things started becoming a little more lenient because Mm. i was at studio the day before so i didn't really have to you know i'd have a little bit more like room with Mm. like the timetable you know what i mean Mm. so i think the sense of feeling different in some way to other people started at that point mm. in a particular way, you know?
0: Maybe I'm using the word ego when um, it's almost like I might be trying to say the birth of a certain monster right. inside, right? the monster that says, maybe not all rules apply to me. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I can get away with this because. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And and I use the word ego because it's a certain inflated sense of self.
1: Right, yeah, yeah, sure. So
0: looking back in hindsight now, where do you think the monster began because the monster manifested in many different ways in your life?
1: Man. I think the sense of... You know, so I grew up in Tembisa, right? Mm. Uh, born there, raised there for many years uh, before we moved out. But also, like, at home, we were the only house in in the street that had a VHS machine, mm. you know? So I'd have, like... So that was where my birth for, like... Well, I wouldn't say my birth, because my my goal was, like, a storyteller. She'd always tell us stories before mm. we went to bed, you know? I think that's where, like, the seed of wanting to be a storyteller came from. But from having access to this VHS machine, like...
0: Which was a big deal to ama two thousand. Yeah, yeah, I watch it. was right. a huge.
1: Deal. Yeah, like to have a VHS, like it was like, my house was a mini cinema at yeah. home. you know, so there'd always be like a sense of like, um, I, I always knew that we were better off mm. in some way. You know, I always knew, and it was also it also came from how uh, people treated my father and how he was kind of hailed as someone who was quite respectable in the community. And that like transcends to the family and how the kids get treated, you know? Come on James, you know what I'm mm. saying? So you kind of grow up like embracing or inheriting this kind of thing that your family is doing really well and you're from this kind of specific household. So mm. automatically, you know, you're treated differently or you have to behave uh, in a more respectable manner than mm. a, like a kid who just doesn't really, who's just been a kid, you know? Mm. So I think, you know, those little seeds of like understanding or knowing that like things are not, even though we're all on equal kind of planes, there's something better in a way, or there's a, we're in a slightly better situation than everyone else in a way, you know? Mm. But at the same time, we all struggle through the same things mm. um, in that neighborhood, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You have shared publicly that you come from a broken home. What is broken home in your life?
1: So, you know, I think in some way we've all experienced, I mean, I'll speak for myself, but I know in the general kind of DNA of whether it's people that I know or friends that I know, um, there's always something within a black family household that's never spoken about, you know, Mm. whether it's, Uh, a parent who's absent because they're either working too hard or a parent who's an alcoholic um, who's abusive physically or, you know, there'll always be some sort of conflict, you know. Um, And I think that's, you know, we're humans, so we're always going to encounter that in some way, you know. So when I say broken, you know, I was, you know, I come from a very, very loving home. Like both my parents um, loved us dearly and they, and, they did the best to provide for us, given mm. the circumstances of raising kids in a uh, post-apartheid era, you know. Mm. Um, but also things weren't always good, you know. Mm. Like, we have some really good memories and we have some memories where things were really hard, you know.
0: But um, we also need to normalise the fact that you can say I come from a broken home without it meaning your home didn't have love. You yes, didn't exactly. Have both parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People automatically sure. think, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, your parents were divorced, or you were yeah, being yeah, yeah. abused, and no one loved you. Yeah, exactly. It can be all all in- yeah. inclusive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which
1: is why I'm I'm stating that, you know, mm. because I think the the stigma of broken home is like, oh my God, like what was wrong, you know? Mm. But um, you know, there was you know friction, or, or you know, my mom and dad had their own kind of fights, verbal mm. fights. Um, and I think for me, being a child, uh, seeing my dad as a hero and a and like you know someone who spent time with us, taught me how to ride a bicycle, and we have some really really fond memories, you know. Mm. So there's the man that I see as my father, and then there's the man that I see as a husband, mm. right? And sometimes those two people, like in fact, those are two separate people,
0: yeah.
1: right? And seeing him, and it was very hard to reconcile how he was as a husband versus how he was as a father. You know, it mm-hmm. was always conflict. Cause I'm like, but he's such a great dad, you know, but I can see my mom's going through so much pain and so much agony. And I'm also coming from a household where we're not really talking about stuff. Like mm-hmm. something happens, we brush it under the carpet, we move on, it's a new day. Um, and you know, you deal with those consequences later in life where sometimes, or for a long time, even now in some moments, my go-to place is to avoid something and not deal with it, you know, Mm. because I feel like, you know, it's maybe a a way to survive, you know, Mm. like I survive Mm. by just brushing things under the carpet, you know. But, you know, as you learn in life that, you know, you keep brushing things under the carpet and suddenly the day you lift that carpet, it's become a mountain,
0: you Mm. know. Um, So so with having said all of that, which we know leads to a certain, uh, I would call it sick within your life. right? Others would say this is the start of a type of a cancer where we learned habits from our parents, whatever toxic behaviors they had at the time, even though they were doing the best that they could. And now people have different ways of finding medicine. So were narcotics your medicine?
1: You know, my medicine was fun, Mm. right? My medicine was going out, my medicine was like, was just about the escape, right? And in that escape I found different things, I found a different group of friends that I hung around with, which, you know, we had great memories, we had great fun. And then like, along the way of that funness, someone says, yo, has anyone tried this, right? And then it's like, no, you know, so, so the interesting thing about that when I look back is that there were all these boundary lines that like one would, that I would have, you know? So my boundary was like, okay, I'm only gonna party on a Friday and Saturday. Mm. And Sunday I'm gonna chill out and recover, right? Mm. So that's a boundary line. And then and then suddenly there's like a Thursday, right? It's like, mm. oh man, but drinks are on special. Yes. Right? So then it's like, okay, now I can start drinking on Thursday, right? So the boundary, so your boundary lines are drawn in sand, right? Mm. So now it's like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, right? Mm. Then like Sunday, it's like a bride at someone's house. And then it's like, now it's like four days, Mm. between seven days and then in a week I'm spending two days to recover and in between that there's all these moments of like escape and like having fun and and some of it was good but then like you know we started it was almost like you're chasing something right and then you once you catch it you want to like elevate that right so Mm. so in uh, rehab one of the terms that I learned was that you chase the first high you know, mm. you chase the first the
0: dragon. Yeah,
1: you chase the first you chase the first high that you felt when you felt that high. Mm. Right. And you'll never get that high ever again. Like yeah. you'll never. Like you'll never, you know, there was a certain feeling that you got when you've had your Jaeger bomb and with that, that combination and that feeling. Suddenly instead of needing one Jaeger bomb, you need two Jaeger bombs to feel the effect. Suddenly you need three, suddenly you're hitting a bottle. Suddenly, you know, whether that's leading to other narcotics you know, suddenly it's one bag a night, Some then it's two bags and then suddenly it's like all these boundaries and all these like limitations that you drew in the sand suddenly disappear because you're chasing that first high, you're mm. chasing that first experience that you had and you'll never get it. Mm-hmm. But by the time you realize that, you're so far down the hole that like you don't even know you're in a hole.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know? What I find so interesting is the word you use, which is escape, Yeah. because that's exactly what storytelling and the work that you do is. Right. So it's interesting (laughs) that uh, the the two words that came to my mind were like, Tabang is an escape artist. He just sometimes, you know, created art, and other times maybe a bit of a mess. Does that resonate with you at all?
1: Yeah, look, I think, (laughs) you know, um, what's interesting about the form of storytelling is like you're escaping to also tells a story in its most authentic and genuine way. Yeah. Because that's the only way that someone's gonna resonate with it, right? But a part of me, so so I don't really, in order for me, if I'm making a movie or if I'm making a commercial or if I'm working on a telenovela, I can't, I can't escape any, like I need to feel everything that's around mm. me, right? I need to be completely present in the moment of what I'm creating in order for me to truly be the to be like at my peak of creating Mm. whatever it is, no matter the duration of it, you know? So I'm not necessarily, I think for me, why I've become a stronger storyteller as I've grown older is that I've learned to embrace the moments of feeling the experience of now, Yeah, you know?
0: Does that include you getting more comfortable sitting in discomfort, the type of discomfort that actually drove you to chasing fun?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's something that I mean, like I completely hate it. I hate the term "sit with it," you know.
0: It still sucks, though, even though you know why you gotta do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like you know,
1: it's like, you know, the you know now it's you know there's other there's different outlets, right? So it's it's been a very long week. I'm completely exhausted, but I can't. I know I can't go out, you know. And Mm. if I go out, I'm gonna go out to have a meal. Mm. And even if I'm surrounded by friends, I kind of. I can monitor, I monitor the conversation, not to say I'm monitoring it, but you feel the energy, yeah. you know, you feel the energy, you're like, okay, cool, the homies are drunk now, I can leave. Mm. I'm no longer afraid of being in this company of friends that are drinking, mm. but I know when to leave. Yeah. And that's always been something where I'm like, no one's going to remember the rest of the conversations that we're having right now. And I'm at Also, it's not fun for you. Yeah, it's not fun for me. After like, you know, everyone's only... <laughs> having
0: fun, and you're like, "There's
1: only so much water I can drink," you know. Yes, <laughs> you know. Yes. Um, and there's only so many cappuccinos I can have, mm-hmm. you know. So, so for me, it's like um, being self-aware and being able to sit through discomfort, and also being able to uh, surround myself with people that are okay with that, you know. So, a lot of people have also kind of you know the, you know not being able to sit through discomfort, not being able to um, go through those. Ser- I can't expect whether it's a life partner or friends that are close to me to go through the same journey that I've been through. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. So, and I need to show empathy for those that, you know, if if your survival instinct is to run, I can't keep you if if you yeah. kind of feel like you have to run. I can't, you know
0: did you also and do you also struggle with naming things? Like, other than sitting with your feelings, calling them exactly what they are, considering your background consisted of sweeping things under the carpet and not speaking about them.
1: Well, I think the thing about it is what I'm able to do is ask myself the questions, right? So if I receive a phone call or if I wake up and I feel discomfort, I kind of ask myself, okay. And usually it's rooted in fear yes right it's it's like it always like boils down to to a fear and the second thing is that it's usually something that i'm not in control of
0: yeah
1: right and that's ultimately what makes me scared so i wake so i might be like whatever i'm doing in the house before i leave and i'm like but why am i feeling so anxious mm. then i'll stop and i'll ask myself okay i'm feeling anxious because it's the 25th and i know that There's something that I need to do financially to contribute to X, Y, and Z. Mm. And I feel like I might have a shortfall before I get to the end of the month. Okay, I'm I'm worried about that. What can I do? Is there anything I can do in this moment to alleviate that? No, there's nothing because I've pitched on several projects. So I kind of come down to certain to trying to try and answer the question of what's making me feel anxious in that moment. You You know what I mean? And then when I get to the root of it. Either it's something that I can change, or it's e- either something that's completely out of uh, out control. of my control, yeah. right? And those are the things that I'm like, okay, I need to surrender this, right? Because, mm. you know, like surrender is like a practice that you that I do in in moments, right? Like, I'm like, okay, like I've done something, I'm putting it out there, like God, it's in your hands then as I throw it into the fire and I say, God, it's in your hands, I'm like, wait, but I'm not sure if it's, you're going to pull through, so let me just, like... I... You're such but a perfectionist, like you know I me, mean? yeah, like, I resonate. You
0: know? I, I, that completely, like, connects, because also, we're in production. Yeah. You know, we, we we create, like you say, we create stories, narratives, right. and if we didn't have deadlines, we'd be perfecting until kingdom come. Yeah, exactly.
1: So exactly. We, had
0: to, we have to learn the art of letting go. Of yeah, something. yeah, yeah.
1: And we work in an industry where... Uh, if anything, we need to be in control of every single aspect, right? And that's part of what a successful, being able to execute a successful production is you need to be in control of everything, logistically to execution. But we also live in a world where you can't control everything.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. So that's the that's the juxtaposition to life and what we do.
0: What was your rock bottom?
1: You know, I... It's funny, one term that I also learned in rehab is that rock bottom has a basement. Yeah. So when you think you're at rock bottom, there's another level there that, you know, there's a basement to that rock bottom, you know?
0: You must watch a film called The Platform. Okay. It's about rock bottom having a basement. basement. Okay, I'll check it Mm, out. mm,
1: I Um, I think for me, I was in denial about where I was for a very long time. I, I kind of masked... You know, being a very young, successful director at the time that I was, um, I had a lot of work on my plate. Like I was running from, like in one year I'd shot four productions. Mm. Like that's, I directed four dramas in Mm. one year. So I was on set shooting something with uh, the PA from another production dropping off scripts Mm. that I had to sign for. And while I was shooting that production at lunchtime, I was reading for the next production mm. and making notes for. So I kind of in growing up, I kind of in, in my mid-20s had this whole like um hustle till we die mentality, which is not a bad mentality to have, the 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 drive to work really hard. And I felt that I had to keep myself going with certain substances, like whether it was stuff to help me like. Not sleep at night, or what yeah. I believed would make me more efficient or sharper, you know. Yeah. And also, I think growing up and seeing uh, how this industry kind of portrayed the rock and roll lifestyle and like the excessiveness in substances, like I felt that that was part of the dressing of what a young successful filmmaker or director was, you know. Yeah. So I think for me, when I was on the last production in Cape Town. And i just done four that year and I just, I was at like, I was completely zoned out. Like I was just, I was a zombie on set. And probably burnt out. I was completely burnt out. I was completely exhausted. Like spiritually I was bankrupt and I was just spent, you know. Um, And I was, you know, and I drove to Signal Hill. I drove to the top of Signal Hill in Cape Town. And I was just like, a part of me really just wanted to drive off that cliff. Like, I was just like, I want to drive off this cliff, you know? And I got home in the apartment that I was staying in, um, and I ended up in the hospital that night, mm. um, completely exhausted, burned out, with the doctor trying to stitch up my wrists because I'd cut them uh, mm. in the kitchen, and I was just like, I didn't want... It was... I think... I, I don't think I was trying to kill myself, but I also think I wasn't... I didn't know how to ask for help. I didn't know how to say, I'm struggling, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what to do and I don't know like who to ask for help. So I was trying to get someone's attention.
0: Can I ask, uh, I would say it's a tough question just in the sense that um, maybe many people are not familiar with what you just said right. about, you know, people say, you'll get those who say, but if you're trying to kill yourself, you should have just done this. Yeah. If you really wanted to do it, you would have done yeah, it. Yeah. And the others are like, I oh, was just looking for attention. Yeah. Did you get the release and the relief of... Um, what, what, what you had burning inside of you by doing that. Did you feel a s- bit of a sense of relief after doing it?
1: No, not really, because I still wasn't willing to be honest about... Mm. It wasn't... Even though I got the attention of like, oh, all I got was the attention that I felt like people were concerned about my well-being. But mm. even in that, when people said, what's wrong? I was like, no, I'm just... I'm overworked. I'm under mm. pressure. You know what I mean? So I was... I think like one thing I've learned is that the second I was able to be honest with myself and say I need help, you know, that's when I was on the journey to recovery or the journey to learning that it's okay to also say I'm not okay. Yeah. You know, and it's and it's okay to be vulnerable and say, yo, I'm struggling, I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm scared and yeah. like, you know, because you know, I don't, you know, growing up like, you know, um, even till this day, like masculinity, being a boy, being a man, growing up, and that transition has no kind of room for vulnerability in any way, you know? So I think when you grow up you know, with all this tension, it manifests itself in other ways, you know? So I think if I wasn't, and if I didn't end up being a substance abuser, I would have probably been an abusive partner, right? Mm. Because it needs an outlet, right? So if it doesn't have an outlet, then it explodes. But someone gets, ultimately, someone needs to feel the wrath of a young boy who feels like he's got no one to talk to, who feels like it's weak to cry. I'm not man enough, and that's not what men do. Um, And I I honestly believe that's part of the root of gender-based violence is because men don't know where that outlet is, and they take that frustration home. And ultimately, someone in the household, whether it's the wife or the kids, feel that, feel that consequence. Yeah.
0: You know? And it's a pity. I do believe that in many situations, men are the biggest victims of toxic masculinity. Yeah. And it manifests like what you say into yeah. other things where now there are other victims. But I'm thinking to myself, um, you said I needed help. Mm. You needed help for?
1: Substance abuse. Mm. Yeah, I needed help for substance abuse.
0: Did you know that at the time? No. Or were you just saying, I
1: need help. No, no, no. I didn't know. Like, I had an intervention. Like, my family my family rocked up at my apartment, and they are like, yo, we've checked you into rehab. This is what you're going to do. You're going to go to rehab. I was like, rehab? Come on. I'm just, guys, I'm going to shoot, you know? And they were like, no. And I didn't know that, like, everyone had been communicating. Like, my mom was speaking to my boss at the time, and my then my boss was like, no, we, we'll give him as much time off mm. as he needs, and when he comes back, like, He'll still have a job, you know. So everyone had communicated, and I was just like... And even then, I still went to... I mean, I did rehab for... Um, I did the first... Uh, I did primary care, which is a month. And then secondary As care... As in a
0: month, you are full-time living full-time. in the rehab facility. Yeah. No phone, no yeah, visitors. No phone, yeah,
1: no phone. Uh, you can have visitors in your third weekend. After
0: right? 21 days. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, can gotcha. start,
1: you can start having visitors. So I did that for a full month, and then I moved into secondary care and secondary care was about three months.
0: And secondary care, is that the one where you are in and out?
1: No, you still stay completely on the facility, but yeah. now you start seeing counselors.
0: I got you. You start I got seeing you.
1: counselors. Well, you're seeing counselors in primary care, but it's more intensive work Yes. Now. It's like your childhood, growing up. Mm. So you think you're going in to be like, okay, like I thought I was going in to be like, okay, I just need to like appease people and people you need know, to calm down, you know? But I only think it probably sunk in like month four where I was like, okay, like this is like, because you're surrounded by different people. You're surrounded by a man who's 70 years old and he's completely lost everything. You're surrounded by, you know, people your age, people younger, and everyone's got different stories. But ultimately you see the common thread in the behavior of like the escape or not being honest Mm. or being, you know, so, even though everyone's story is completely different, there's a lot of similarities mm. in how we just de- in the decisions we made to deal with mm. problems, you know
0: absolute worst moment in rehab, which I will assume was the penny dropping for you about like, okay, wow, I actually have a problem.
1: um, you know, I think when I was in rehab, it felt safe, yeah, you know, and I think what was painful was looking back at people that I'd hurt along mm. the way, you know? And realizing like the pain I'd caused my family, my sister, my mom, especially, mm. you know? Um, but I mean, without their love and support, I wouldn't have made it through. But I think in that, when you're going through the work, cause you're writing, you're doing a lot of like, journaling of what happened, right? And like, you start writing. So, you know, one of the exercises is, write a uh, hundred consequences of your behavior. Wow. And you're like, 100, how are you even gonna to get to 100? But let me tell you, start writing. Ooh, Cause I think like, that's
0: an exercise everyone <laughs> must do. Right,
1: because then yeah. you start going, like once you complete, because you, you, firstly, when you're given that task, you're like, there's no way there's 100, right? But you start writing from the littlest things, like a little consequences, okay, I went out on Sunday night, Monday I was late for a meeting. It's a consequence, Yeah. right? So you start writing that down, and then they get more extreme, right? You're like, okay, went out, roadblock, uh, cop stopped me. It's a consequence, right? Like, you don't realize it. But when you start writing down the things that you remember, other things that you think you've forgotten start coming up.
0: What was your heaviest consequence on your list?
1: Oh, sure. There's quite a few here, but I think ending up in hospital Mm. was one of the. I mean, in this moment right now, that's what I can think of.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, My mom, like my mom's, my mom and I are really close, you know. And I think seeing her, I think when my mom knew that I had a problem. Like that moment when she looked at me and she was like, "You need help, right?" And I could see the pain in her eyes. Like I'll never forget that. Cause I remember just looking at my mom and going, feel like, like I didn't, I had no feeling towards what she was going through. I couldn't, I was so out of touch with who I was that I had no empathy for what she was saying to me. Mm-hmm. She was like, you're out of touch. And I was mm-hmm. just like, she was like, I need help. And I, I, I didn't care. Um so I think when I look at when, I mean, those are the two consequences where. You know, you never, re- you ne- not, re- you never want to hurt people that care yeah. for you and would do anything for you.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I think for me, those are the biggest uh, regrets of my past or my addiction, rather. Yeah. yeah.
0: Recovery, as as many people know, let, let me not say we all know, is an ongoing journey.
1: Yeah.
0: What are the things that happen in your life that drive you to realizing, ah, uh-uh, I'm skirting too close to the edge and playing with my recovery?
1: Um, when I feel under pressure, mm. um, I'm very good at multitasking, multiple projects, but when I make very clumsy mistakes, um, uh, when I start being very forgetful,
0: yeah.
1: um, then it means I'm exhausted.
0: Yeah. And
1: for me, like exhaustion is a very big flag for me, yeah, like, because I kind of want to escape and just yeah. be like, I need the world to leave me alone. So exhaustion is a very... So I kind of make sure that on weekends, I either I'm resting, seeing my family, or I'm in the gym. Those are my outlets. Those yes. are my three outlets, you know? Um, and also when I do... For me, another red flag is when I do things that I can get away with yeah. without anyone calling me out. Ooh. And I'll give you a very, like, simple mm. example, right? Mm. When I'm driving and I've got, like an empty can of an energy drink. And if I open my window to throw that can out, Mm. right, or if I take a piece of paper that's like litter Mm. and I throw it out my car while I'm driving, that's a red flag for me. Wow. Wow. Because I'll tell you why. The thing is, I'm doing something and I think I can get away with it.
0: Mm. And
1: no one can stop me to say, like, don't do that. That's not cool.
0: Yeah. You know, and I think what makes it important is surrounding yourself with the right people. Yeah. yeah the yeah. people that already know when uh, that's a flag or yeah. I, uh, I should be calling this out. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, where's Tabang today? I'm here with you. <laughs> <laughs> <Based outside. laughs> How many years sober and oh. where do you find <clears throat> yourself in life? Uh, so
1: May the 10th is my sobriety birthday. So this year I turned nine years. Mm. Uh, next year will be my 10 year.
0: Wow, that's huge. It's,
1: it's like it feels like yesterday I was yeah. checking into rehab. So it's 10 years of you know no substances, no not a drink, not a drop of alcohol in my system, um, and I can and I and I'm feeling like alive and present, and I feel like I'm at the best. I'm being the best version of myself, not even in every day, but every moment. I try and experience my moments, you know?
0: Do do your substances include medication? And I asked this specifically, I have a friend who um, had to go in for an op. She's in recovery, has been sober for over 10 years, cracking heroin, but she Mm. will not even have a painkiller. So for her op, like the moment they were done with the anesthesia and everything, yeah. not a single thing.
1: Yeah, I know. It's you know that that's the thing is I fortunately I haven't been in this situation where I've needed an operation, been in recovery, but I've heard from people and I've heard even in with friends that have been in uh like accidents that are in recovery and the medic comes up and they're like, I need to give you anesthesia and they go, No.
0: Yes. You know, yes,
1: um yes. so You know, I do know that, like, medications also, you know, painkillers, you know, and it's the little things, right, where, like, you know, you can get them over the counter. It's just too much of anything that kind of makes you escape the moment of being in the moment. Yeah. That's what becomes addictive.
0: Then when it comes to addiction in general, some people recover from one switch to another. Yeah. Do you ever find yourself picking up addiction to work addiction to sex addiction to any other behaviors or or anything else
1: you know i do try and because you know you cross you cross the to certain things right i know for sure that i'm i'm a workaholic like i really do know that i because i know what it feels like to grow up when you know i lost my father at a young age and When that happened, like the banks descended and completely wiped us out, Mm. you know? So I never want my family to experience that. And I know that's part of why I work so hard, you know? And also for me, like work just keeps me out of trouble. Like it keeps me Mm. from the streets. It keeps me from being in places where I don't need to be, you know?
0: But what Um, if work is trouble? How? how? You say work keeps you out of trouble. What if work becomes the trouble? It can be. in the case of you, your situations have been being overworked.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can be. So it's, you know, it's having, as you said, having a support structure around you that can say, hey, you're working too hard or you need to rest, Um, going and seeing family. Like after this interview, I'm going to go home to my Mm. family, to my mom and my sister and spend time with them, you know. so yeah, it does, it's it's always important to stay vigilant of like, even in relationships, you know, to be like, you know, okay, I was in a relationship, it only lasted six months and I really like someone else. Okay, I can't just hop from a relationship to the next relationship, you know, because that's also part of like, it can become, you know, you can become a relationship. Uh,
0: love addict, I love think Love addict, they it, right, yeah, you yeah, call it yeah. a love
1: addict, you know. So. So, yeah, it's just, you know, I think for me, it's like we call it baby steps and one step at a time, you yeah. know, uh, because one can also feel overwhelmed and and I find that I can also put too much pressure on myself,
0: you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Final words, learnings from your journey.
1: Um, that it's okay to talk about things, that um, uh, as family, as friends, we need to talk more to... You know I would encourage parents to talk to their kids, yeah, and to be open with them and to allow them the platform to to just express how they're feeling that it's okay to not always be strong, that it's okay to be to feel weak. it's okay to cry. Um, and it's just okay to be vulnerable and that like this life thing, we're all just figuring it out, and we don't always need to have all the answers, yeah, and we don't have to put pressure on ourselves. like social media becomes a huge pressure for us growing up. and the want and the desire to have things um, and that just find inner peace like and that happens daily like just be okay in the moment with the little even though it seems little with what you have yeah nothing wrong with aspiring for more but don't put pressure on yourself because you'll never enjoy the moment of the now
0: Yeah. yeah yeah thank you so much tabang i really appreciate you coming to share the story i mean we've Uh, We met many, many years ago, but it's amazing to see how your journey has progressed, not just your success, and of course everybody will go to your socials and see the amazing work that Tabang is doing, but just your personal journey and your growth, the fact that you're able to come to the space and be honest and real about Mm. what some would consider weak and what some would consider you shouldn't be sharing that in public. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Hashtag unpacked with Relebohile. Do join in on the conversations, especially when we speak about addiction, which we know is is quite a serious thing. Addiction is not just restricted to substances; is not restricted to what you might think it is. So, we'll post the details of where you can get in touch with help. Uh, for help, but more importantly, what Tabang said, just to resonate with that, don't be afraid to ask for help. Stay present, be in the moment and know you are not weak. It's okay to be vulnerable, especially if you're a man. Thank you for joining us, good night. Next time on Unpacked. You, you are striving for a certain physical perfection. Yeah, for me, not for, for people, not for people. Yes. No, That's I don't what I was live for people, ask. I live for me. Why Why is it important for you to be memorable? With Rilebogile Maboja, new episodes weekdays at 5:30 p.m. on my YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe. Television edited broadcasts weekdays at 5 p.m. open up to S3.